Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. A good reputation. Yes, you heard me right. How do you and I repair a good reputation? Now, I know what you're wondering. Why in the world would I ever want to repair a good reputation? A bad reputation, that I can understand, right? Help me fix that. You see, church, Every one of us, whether you admit it or not, we want people to hold a good opinion about us. Think about it. You and I do things every single day to establish or maintain our reputation in the eyes of people. We do, whether it's at home, at school, at work, uh, in the community, and even at church. If you've been a Christian or, or even if you've simply attended church for any length of time, chances are you too have developed a reputation. When people hear your name, what do they think? They probably think you're a good person, a good Christian. So now you're wondering, where's the problem? <laughs> Where is the problem. Well, here, here it is. Is the reputation you have in the eyes of people consistent with your reality in the eyes of God? That's my question. Your good reputation, what you portray to the world, is it true to who you really are in the sight of God? Are you starting to see the problem? For many of us in the church, if we're honest, our so-called good uh, reputation could not be any further from the truth. And that's our problem. So, we come to our passage this morning in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus addresses a first-century church who were faced with the very same uh, dilemma, the church in a city known as Sardis. And my sincere prayer for you and I is that we would heed Christ's warning so that He can repair our reputation before God. Revelation chapter 3, if you're not there already, please turn there in your Bibles and allow me to set the scene. It was the end of the first century. Jesus had resurrected from the dead. The the Holy Spirit had launched the early church. But what followed were decades of intense persecution against Christians. If you were a follower of Jesus, chances are you were a political criminal against the Roman Empire. And if it wasn't death, it was exile for you. 
And this is where we find the Apostle John on an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea, nearing the end of his life when he receives a remarkable revelation from Jesus. And that revelation is concerning the state of the church and the things that were to come. And though this book, the book of Revelation, is addressed specifically to seven first century churches, that's the original audience, I want you to recognize that the number seven, the number seven in the Bible carries a symbolic meaning. It signifies completion. Completion. Uh, creation was completed in, by God in seven days. So what Jesus says in this passage then is not only for Sardis, but rather is applicable to the complete or the whole church, all churches, ours too. So with that context in mind, let us start in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. John is the one who's writing, and he's writing here that Jesus, who has the fullness of the Spirit of God, remember the number seven, it signifies completeness. So Jesus, who has the whole, the, 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 the fullness of the Spirit of God, Jesus, who holds all the churches in his hands, says to the leaders of this particular church in Sardis, what does he say? Look at verse one, I know your works. I know your works. Sardis was not a church full of inactive bodies warming the pews. I don't want us to think that because Jesus tells us here that they had works. They did things. They were doing things for God. And Jesus knew every good work Every charitable deed, every righteous act, all their ministries and programs and, and groups, nothing was unknown or unseen to Jesus. And when you do good works in the sight of people, what happens? You obtain, look at the verse, you obtain a reputation of being alive. That's what happened. This was their reputation, spiritually alive. The Greek word that John uses here for reputation, onama, it actually means name. It means name. So, so what Jesus is saying here is that when people heard the name Sardis, when they heard that name Sardis, Christians and non-Christians alike, they said, that church, Sardis, that church is alive. They're alive. That was their reputation. They appeared to be flourishing. They had a form of, of godliness. Lots of people attending week after week. Their programs and activities seemed to be full of life and, and energy. Their times of singing and worship were dynamic and, and moving. By all appearances, they were alive. That was their reputation in the eyes of people. 
But what does Jesus reveal to us about the reality in Sardis? Look at verse 1. He says, but you are dead. You are dead. Church, you may have the most sparkling reputation in the eyes of people, but it is your reality in the sight of God that really matters. You know why? Because Jesus knows the truth. He sees past our reputation. He sees past our works. He sees past our holy appearance, our acting, our pretending. Our... He sees through every false pretense to get to the truth. And the truth for Sardis was not that they were alive, but quite the opposite. They were spiritually dead in sin. This was a church full of people who faked it. Who faked it. People who convinced that they were alive, but Jesus knew the truth. Jesus was not fooled. Um, as the commentator Matthew Henry writes, he says, there was a deadness in their souls, a deadness in their services, a deadness in their ministries, a deadness in their prayers and their preaching, a deadness in their conversations. Do you know what it's called when your reputation before people and your reality before God are so different? Do you know what that's called? It's called living a double life. That's what it's called. If you present yourself one way at church on Sundays and a completely different way at work during the week, that's a double life. That's what it is. If you pretend you're holy and, and pure in public while indulging in sin when no one's watching, that's a double life. If you talk or act or do things outside the home that you would never do in the presence of your family, that's a double life. Friends, if you're listening to me and you recognize this is you, now you know why I said at the outset that we need to repair our good reputation. Why? Because keeping up this squeaky clean reputation while dirt, the dirt piles up inside, that's exhausting. It's exhausting. Hypocrisy and guilt are slowly eating away at you. Your heart is growing harder and harder and you're constantly living afraid of being exposed as a fraud. But let me tell you something. You may think no one knows the truth about you, but Jesus declares today in this passage that he knows. He knows. So, how did Sardis get to this place? How did they get here? where their reputation and their reality were so far apart. Jesus tells us, look at verse 2. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. He says, wake up. Like, like a parent calling their child, wake up, Jesus says. What does that mean? It means Sardis was asleep. This church lay in a deep coma. They were, it's, it's like lying in a hospital bed on life support. 
Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. They were weak. They were barely even moving with death knocking at the door. You know, this term, wake up, in the Greek, it actually means be alert, pay attention, watch so that you don't fall into calamity. And on the surface, when you, when you and I hear that, it probably doesn't mean that much. But to the people of Sardis, Christ's words here carried a much more tragic meaning, a much deeper meaning. You see, the city of Sardis was elevated. It was 1,500 feet elevated around, above the valley that was around it. And at such an elevated position, um, its cliffs and, and its walls were basically impenetrable. Like, they were naturally and physically protected. Um, they had a huge military advantage over anyone who would dare try to attack this if there was ever a city safe and secure, this was it, the city of Sardis. But would you believe, as history tells us, once but twice, Sardis was captured and ransacked in war? Twice. First, uh, the Persians in 547 B.C., and then the, the Medo-Persians 300 years later. Sardis was, was caught by surprise to slander twice. Now, how do you think an enemy managed to sneak up 1,500 feet of cliffs and walls to attack this city? How? It happened because the watchmen failed to watch. That's how it happened. Their duty was to be alert, to be ready, to be prepared, to be awake, and instead, they were asleep. In confidence, they thought to themselves, who could attack our city? See our position. See this fortress. And with that false sense of security, they let their guard down. They became lethargic in their vigilance, and the enemies climbed up the walls undetected. Jesus is warning Sardis here, do not make the same mistake your ancestors have made again and again. Do not fall into the ease and comfort of the reputation you have built for yourself. Do not become self-confident or falsely assured in your works and let down your guard against sin. He says, wake up. Church, there's a point here for each of us, is there not? There's a point for us. If you think you're standing firm in good works and in your good reputation, the Bible says take heed, be careful, watch so that you don't fall. Wake up. Do not stop being watchful. For the moment you let your guard down, sin surely creeps in. Peter um, warns us this way. He says, the devil is a prowling lion. I, I, I want us to think about that for a moment. Those of you at home, even those of us here in the church, 
Just think for a moment. A lion is circling your home or circling this church. Right now, if that's happened, if that's happening, what would you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I would listen more carefully than I've ever listened to try to detect the sound of his footsteps circling or creeping around the house. I would scramble to secure every possible point of entry. I would get my wife and my son to safety. I would barricade us in with the strongest materials I could find. I would call for help. I would find any and all weapons to try to defend ourselves. Why? Because if I fail to do any of these things, we will be devoured. And this is what it means to be awake against sin. That's what it means to be awake against sin, church. But Sardis, look at verse 2. Jesus says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You remember those works we talked about? Verse 1, he says, I know your works. The very works that got them a good reputation in the, in the eyes of people, Jesus says here, those works, even those works, are not complete in the sight of God. They're not complete. Now, what does that mean? John is not saying here that they didn't do enough work to please God. Okay, I don't want you to, don't get me wrong here. That's not what he's saying. This is not like an unfinished project, right, that, that, that you need more work to, to complete the job. No. What was lacking in Sardis was faith, was faith. An incomplete work is a work without faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. The works this church did were done believing in God. Can you wrap your head around that? A church that doesn't believe in God? <laughs> That's what this church was. Everything they did, it was all just religious rituals. Uh, they were going through the motions week after week, participating in the programs. All the while, every work they did was hollow and empty because it didn't even come from hearts that really believed. You see, reputation can be very deceiving, church. Because the world sees your outward appearance, what you're doing, while God sees your heart. He sees your heart. You see, people may see you donating money. God knows the tax break that's in it for you. People may see you being nice. God knows when you're trying to make up for a guilty conscience. People may see you serving in the church. God knows if your motive is for recognition. Because church, people only see what you do. God knows why you do it. God knows why you do it. So Sardis had a reputation in the eyes of people that they were faithful and they were alive, but their reality in the eyes of God was that they were faithless and dead. And now, Jesus tells us how he can repair our reputation before God. Let's look at verse 3, please. Verse 3. Jesus says, Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and 
repent. I want to give you some history here. The church in Sardis was planted about 30 years. 30 years prior to John writing this this passage, they were planted as a church. 30 years, give or take. 30 years is the approximate time it takes for adults to have children and for those children to grow up and start having children of their own. It's one generation. That's 30 years. So what Jesus is telling us is that in, in 30 short years, Sardis had forgotten the gospel, which was preached to them at the beginning. The good news that through faith in Christ, the dead in sin can be forgiven and made alive by God's grace. That gospel that saved them, the gospel that planted them as a church at the very beginning, Jesus says, do not forget it, because they had He says, remember, remember. (laughs) It made me me think, did you know that 2021 is is our own 30th year of ministry as a church? We began Seekers Christian Fellowship in 1991. What an appropriate challenge to us in this text, to our generation. Remember what we have received and heard. Remember, remember. That's the first step. The second step, Jesus says, is keep it. Keep it. Keep it, which means hold fast to it. Hold fast. Just like the the song we sang today. Hold fast. That's that's Christ holding fast to us. But this command is hold fast to, to the gospel. Hold fast to the precious word of God. Obey it. Keep it. That's two. And the third step, he says, thirdly, Jesus says, repent. Repent. What is repent? Repent means just to seek Christ to forgive you of your sin. Turn. Turn from sin to God. Let your heart and mind be changed. So for those of us, those of you stuck in a double life, who have a reputation, you have a reputation of being alive in the eyes of people, but in reality you know that you are living in sin before God. If that's you, Jesus is saying here, I know the truth. I know. And if you hear my call, if you, can, if you can hear my summons to wake up, strengthen what remains. I, I picture a, a shipwreck, and, and, and there are a few survivors who are clinging on to um, pieces of debris, just floating. And they're slowly slipping into um, hypothermia as they freeze in the waters. And here comes that rescue boat, and there's a call coming out. Is anyone alive out there? If you hear the call, strengthen what remains. Remember the gospel. Hold fast to it and repent. And why is that important? What's the consequence? Verse 3, for if you will not wake up, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We know Jesus is is coming. The church, we believe in the second coming of Christ. And we are all looking forward to the second coming of Christ for him to return for us. But Jesus is not saying that in this passage. He's not saying he's going to return for them. He says, I will come 
against you. This is not a welcome visit. For those who do not wake up, who do not repent, Jesus is coming against you. Like a thief who comes when you and I are fast asleep in our beds thinking, thinking all is well, and suddenly at an hour you do not know or expect, he comes. And I want you to remember, just as Sardis, they were caught off guard, right? When they were ransacked, Sardis was caught off guard and they were brought to ruin when the watchmen failed to watch. Likewise, you and I will be caught unexpectedly and brought to judgment if we fail to repent. If we fail to repent. Now, this... Um, this rebuke from Jesus uh, sounds full of despair, doesn't it? Hopeless. But in the verses that remain, he reveals a flicker of hope. A flicker of hope in the midst of this dying church. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, yet. <laughs> when I first read this, my heart felt so much relief. To read that word, yet, yet. Jesus says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. So, so we need to understand, in a church full of counterfeits, the church is full of counterfeits, Jesus is still able to find the few who, who are truly alive. And church, he knows them by name. Isn't that incredible? Jesus knows the names of every person in the church, and he knows the few of you who have not soiled your garments. I have to be honest, as I read this, I stopped and I prayed and I said, Jesus, if you come to our church, to my church, let my name be counted on that short list. I, and I'm sure most of you would, would agree with that's your prayer. Let our names be counted on that list. I don't want to keep caring so much about what people think of me. Let this be my name. One of the primary industries in Sardis was harvesting wool. They dyed garments. That's, that's what, that's what, that was one of the primary um, uh, industries in Sardis. So this picture of a soiled garment meant it was smeared. It, it, was, it was stained. It was polluted. It was contaminated. And, and it's, a, it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for the character of the ungodly of people who are unholy, of people who are impure, of those of us corrupted by sin. Now, if you've been listening carefully, you probably have a very important question in your mind at this point. You're probably asking, how can anyone be worthy of this? How did those few names in Sardis... How did they become worthy? Because as far as you and I know, no one in the church is perfect. I'm not. 
We all have the stain of sin on our garments. We all have given in to evil at one time or another. We, we, we've all failed at some point to be watchful when we shut our guard down. We've all done that. And even if you, you've done good works, what does the Bible call good works? Filthy rags apart from Christ. So how did these overcome or conquer sin? How do they do it? Um, John himself tells us in, in 1 John 5 verse 5, he says, Who is the one who overcomes the world? The one who believes. Jesus is the Son of God. The one who believes. That's the one who overcomes. That's the one who conquers. They did it by faith. Those few names, they did it by faith, church. By faith, the few in Sardis had their garments washed. Appear unsoiled because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus, Revelation 7.14. By faith, they were covered with a righteousness that was not their own. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how they conquered. And look at their reward, verse 4. You just need to, you need to picture this. Okay? This, is, this is what we are longing for as believers. Look at this verse 4. It says, they will walk with me, Jesus says. Can you just let your, let your mind go here? Can you imagine to walk beside Jesus Christ? To walk with him? To commune with him in paradise? To, to walk and, and to talk with him as friend with friend? Isn't that incredible? This is the reward. That's not all. See how Jesus concludes. Look at verse five, 5, the very end. He says, And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, this is important. In the Roman Empire, angels kept records. Records of the names of every member of a city. Records. But your name could be erased there are a number of reasons that your name could be erased from one of these official records. Um, if you committed a crime against the state, your name could be erased. If you died, your name could be erased. Or simply if you got on the bad side of an official, your name could be erased. Or if they deemed you undesirable, your name could be erased. It's the kind of... Um, cancel culture that existed then and still does very much today. I want you to remember in the news this past Christmas, think of all the politicians and um, even healthcare providers who resigned their positions, why? Over the hypocrisy of taking vac vacations in the midst of a pandemic. Think of all the celebrities, even evangelical celebrities, who have faced shame after their scandals came to light. What's my point? You see, church, when your good reputation is ruined and your true sinful uh, reality is exposed, our world will want nothing more than to blot you out, and rightly so, rightly so. 
But when Jesus takes your sin and your guilt and your shame and forgive you by dying in your place, your name is eternally found in the book of life where it will never, ever, ever be erased. And see what he does with your name. You remember I told you at the beginning, the word John used for reputation, it, it was onama. And it, well, this is the same word he uses here. This is how Jesus repairs our name, our reputation. Look at verse 5. He will confess your name, onama, before God. He presents your name in the presence of God and before all the hosts of heaven. What a reputation. What a reputation. Verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As the worship team comes, I'd like to close by posing a few questions for us all to consider. Is your reputation in the eyes of man far from your reality in the eyes of God? Are you living a double life here in, in good works or, or a good reputation? Have you let your guard down to sin? Because to each one of us, Jesus says, he knows. He calls you, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember. Believe the gospel. Keep it and repent. He can revive the dead in sin. He can wash your garments white. And he can repair your reputation, repair your name before God. Oh Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that examine closely the example of this church in Sardis. And we see many of the same sins, the same hypocrisy that we can often find in our own lives. Oh God, I thank you that you do not guard us because we are sinful. Repent. You call us to believe in your Son, Jesus. I thank you that he has made wash our garments, our soiled garments, our stained garments. He's made a way to wash them clean. So God, if anyone is struggling, trying to maintain that, that squeaky clean reputation in front of people while living a life that is dead in sin, I pray help them not to trust in their their walls. Help them, O oh God, to come back to you now. To repent.
For we know that when, when anyone comes to you that way, you will forgive. You will make us right. We will walk with you for eternity. Experience a joy that no reputation on this earth could ever. And you will confess our name. Jesus will confess our name before the Father in heaven. Lord, let that be our reputation. Let that be my reputation. Let that be the reputation of this church. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.